chapter 17 is where we're going to be. So uh, a few years ago, one of my good friends, he had the opportunity to perform a wedding ceremony on Easter Sunday, which he'd performed a lot of weddings, but it was odd that he was doing one on Easter Sunday. That's not typically a, a popular date to do weddings, but he said yes to this wedding uh, because it was so personal to him. It was the wedding of his older brother. And if you knew my friend and you knew his brother, you'd know all of the layers and some of the backgrounds there. But a few years before this wedding took place, my friend's brother had gone through a brutal divorce. Uh, it's what some of you have experienced personally in your own families. His brother and his wife had two kids. They were, they were the casualties of, of the broken relationship. Shrapnel extended out through the extended family and they found themselves in the midst of this moment where so many of you have been before, people are choosing sides, they're throwing verbal hand grenades, they're really coming after each other and it was a really messy, messy moment. And my friend had walked with his brother through that divorce years earlier and here he was standing at the altar on Easter Sunday with his brother as he's getting ready to enter into his second marriage. It's a small crowd there at the church. I love listening to my friend tell the story. He says, there's this moment when it was like heaven kissed earth, the doors opened, and the bride starts walking down the aisle with her, her dad. And every eye in the building just started weeping because it was a small ceremony. They all knew the backstory. And the reason they were weeping was because the woman walking down the aisle was not just any woman, it was my friend's brother's ex-wife. And here he was on Easter Sunday, the day where we celebrate that Jesus is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. And he's watching Christ resurrect a marriage that was in every sense dead. I love listening to my friend talk about it. He says he's there performing the ceremony. He's just crying through the whole thing. The whole bridal party consists of the two daughters of this couple. And they're weeping through the whole thing because they realize that they're not just getting a new spouse for their parents, but that the family's getting back together. And that literally after the honeymoon, they're moving back into the same house. It is what the heart of every child who's experienced brokenness longs for, right? Is that the family gets put back together. And if someone was gonna force me to sum up the message of the Bible in one simple picture, it would be that. <laughs> that God the Father has done whatever it takes so that the family can be put back together. But the problem is so many of us don't understand, one, that he's our father, two, that he's good, and three, that he has a desire for us to even be back in relationship with him. But this is the heart, this is the heart of what Jesus has come to do. On Friday morning of this week, I couldn't sleep, I woke up really early, I spent some time with the Lord, and. He took me to a passage, uh, quite honestly, that I've never really noticed before. It's in Luke chapter three. You don't have to turn there. You can if you want. Um, but it's in Luke chapter three. And it's in that list of the genealogy of Jesus. You know, that part of the Bible that we all skip in our daily Bible reading, unless you're a legalist or you're really type A, you know, just the list of names. But for some reason, the Lord drew me to that passage and I come to the end of this genealogy where it's just listing off all of these weird names that were in the bloodline of Jesus Christ. And it goes all the way back to the beginning with the first man, Adam. But I want you to listen to verse 37. It says, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, 
the son of Jared, the son of Mahalaleel, however you say that, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, who was the son of Adam. I want to stop there for just a, a moment. Who was Adam? Who was Adam? Everybody say first man, first man. That's true. First creation. That's true. But I never noticed the next part. The son of Adam, the son of God. The son of God. And I knew that. And you know that. But on Friday morning, I'm reading that. And I'm like, oh my goodness. In the Garden of Eden, when God creates man and woman out of the dust and he breathes his breath into their lungs, when Adam opened his eyeballs for the very first time, he didn't look into a distant, cosmic, terrifying deity. He looked into the eyes of a what? A father. He looked into the eyes of his father who knew him and loved him and created him. In Genesis chapter three, do you remember that story where Satan enters into the garden and he begins to tempt Adam and Eve? And we always think of that moment as, as being this moment where Satan disrupted creation from creator, which is true. But it's so much more personal than that. What was happening in the garden? Satan was disrupting the first family. He was coming between Father God and his son and daughter, Adam and Eve. And the rest of the Bible is this cosmic love story that's being worked out between a father and his children. And it's a story of a dad who is willing to do whatever a dad must do to make sure that every one of his children, the human race, find their place back in the safety and the peace of his home. Does that make sense? Yesterday, I got an email from a friend of mine who lives in Washington, D.C. He was forwarding this email out to everyone on his list from a friend of his who lives in Arkansas. And this friend of his in Arkansas, yesterday afternoon, experienced the tragedy that no father ever wants to experience, and that was his young daughter went missing. And his father, not knowing what to do, just starts reaching out to all of his friends, just spread the word, would you look for? And so yesterday afternoon, I get this email from a man in D.C. about his friend in Arkansas. Why? Because what do fathers do when their kids go missing? They go looking. And although Jesus Christ came to do a whole plethora of amazing things, the heartbeat and the totality of his mission was to reveal the goodness of the Father's heart and then to overcome any obstacles that would keep you and I, the children of God, from entering back into the Father's house. And over the next several months, we're gonna talk about what it means for us as a church to be the family of God. But if we don't understand this fundamental picture of the work of Jesus bringing us back into the relationship with the Father that is good, what we will end up with is a church that looks far more like an orphanage than the family of God. We'll look like a group of people that have gathered in a room waiting for someone to come rescue them, missing out on the reality that the Father is here, that he is near, that he is perfect, and that he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And I believe that this is the heartbeat of Jesus' ministry to both reveal the Father's heart 
and to restore your place in the Father's house. Now, I want you to see this unfolding in Scripture. We can look at a lot of places. Let's go to John chapter 17 together for just a few minutes. I love this moment in John 17. I wish we could go through every verse, every nook and cranny of this chapter. It's so beautiful. But this is Jesus praying at first for his 12 disciples. And then he gets further down into the prayer and he starts praying for you and I, literally for you and I, all of us that are gonna come to know the Father through the ministry of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice the heartbeat of Jesus' prayer here because you begin to understand fundamentally what it is that Jesus came to earth to do. So I want you to see this. Look at verse three. Just a few sentences into the prayer. He says, now this is eternal life, that they would know you, the only true God. Do you remember John 3, 16? For God the Father so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Do you remember that? The problem is a lot of times we don't understand what eternal life is. And here Jesus in this prayer, he defines it. He says, hey, this is eternal life that humanity would know their father. That humanity would know their father. You know, years ago, one of my friends, he lost his dad and it was a tragic scenario. It's always tough when someone loses their father, but what, what made it significantly worse was my friend never really knew his father. And if I was gonna describe the, 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 the last several years of my buddy's life, it is that he has been on this quest to discover what his father was and what his father was like. Because my buddy knows intrinsically, whether he wants to believe it or not, that where he comes from shapes his sense of self and who he is. I believe every single one of us, we know this, whether we admit it or not. It's what Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, that deep within your hard wiring as a human being is a hunger for what's on the other side of eternity. You long to know what's there. You long to know who is there. It's the reason everyone's freaking out about the eclipse tomorrow, because there's these moments in life where we begin to recognize that we are so small and there's something so much bigger beyond us. But for most of the human story, people walked around on eggshells because they thought whatever was on the other side of eternity was terrifying. And then Jesus shows up. And Jesus shows up and he says, I want to show you who's on the other side and I wanna show you just what he's like. And this is what he prays. He says, I pray that they would know you, not just know about you. Jesus doesn't just want you to have all the facts about God. He doesn't want you to have all the, he wants you to intimately know your father. Because deep down, we're all on a quest for our father, whether we know it or not. Jump down to verse six of John chapter 17. He says, I've done what you've asked me to do. I have revealed you to them. That's what he says. He says, I've come and I have revealed you to them. I want you to notice this, that Jesus, his life was the practical tangible declaration of the invisible qualities of God. That Jesus was the visible, tangible, touchable expression of God's invisible qualities. He said, I've revealed you to them. Jump down to verse 25 and 26. He says, righteous father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me 
And I've made you known to them. Listen, and I will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them also. Once you hear, do you hear Jesus' heart coming out? He says, listen, I've come to reveal the Father to you. And you're beginning to understand who he is. I'm gonna keep revealing the Father, verse 26, in order that your life would be anchored in the certainty of the Father's love for you. I have a lot of goals for my three boys, but at the top of that list is for them to understand that no matter what they should do or who they should become, nothing can separate them from this Father's love. Does that make sense? And Jesus comes and he says, I've come to reveal what the Father's like. I've come so that your life may be anchored in the Father's love. And he says, and I'm gonna continue to do that. Do you remember what Hebrews chapter one, verse three says? It says that Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of God's being. That when you see Jesus, what you're seeing is the Father. Who you're seeing are the invisible qualities of God being worked out. Flip in your Bibles back just a page or two to John chapter 14. I could show you over and over and over, but I want you to see this. This is not just me making this up. I want you to see. This is the word of God, John chapter 14. We're gonna start in verse five together. This is the part of the story. Jesus has just had the last supper. He and the disciples are walking to the garden of Gethsemane where he's gonna be arrested. And he's talking to them about the trials and the hardships that he's getting ready to go through. And they're all terrified that they're gonna be left abandoned as orphans. In fact, Jesus is gonna say, I'm not leaving you as orphans. But before we get that, verse five, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Listen to this, verse nine or verse eight. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Show us the Father and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus responded, verse nine, don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak in my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Remember when Jesus taught his disciples to pray in Matthew chapter six, what did he say? Here's how you pray. Our, come on church, our, Father. our. Father. Jesus didn't say my Father. He didn't say, this is the way that you pray. Jesus is Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. He says, no, this is the way you pray. Our Father. Jesus says, I am your big brother. I have been sent on a rescue mission to reveal the goodness of our Father and to restore you into relationship with our Father. And the truth of it is some of you have really terrible earthly fathers. Your family tree is a mess. But in Jesus, you've been grafted in to a better family tree. 
And at the heart of Satan's deception is an attack on your identity as a beloved son or daughter of the Father. It's what Satan did in the garden. It's what Satan tried to do to Jesus in the desert. You remember what he said? He said, if you're the son of God. He was the son of God. And he knows that if he can get us to operate as anything other than children of the beloved king, he's won the battle. And Jesus shows up and he says, here's the deal. I've come to reveal the father's goodness and to restore you in to the Father's house. And I've done everything that needs to be done so that can happen. See, I believe this is so important because I believe this lie has wormed its way into the fabric of American thinking and it's creeped into the thinking of so many American Christians. I hear this all the time. And I'm not being hard on you if you think this or you've said it, but I hear this all the time. I hear people say things like this. Man, I love Jesus. Jesus is awesome but I just don't know what to do with God the Father. Man, I love Jesus, but man, the God of the Old Testament, I just don't know what to do. You see, Jesus came to untangle every misconception we had about the Father's character. Because the enemy knows that as long as you misunderstand the Father, you'll never understand Jesus. If you don't understand Jesus, you never find the fullness of life. John chapter five, I'll just speak this over you. Jesus says, listen, I've been sent here by the Father to do the Father's will. I only do what I've seen my Father doing. I only say what I hear my Father saying. He goes so far as to say, I will not do and I will not say unless I've seen my Father do and my Father say. In other words, Jesus is saying this. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. So every moment where Jesus was at work, what you and I are seeing is a father heart that's coming after a humanity that's living outside of the Father's house. When Jesus is feeding the hungry, that compassion you see, do you know what that is? That's a father's compassion towards his hungry children. When you see Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead, what you're witnessing there is a father's power and life and compassion on a broken humanity. When you see Jesus forgiving a woman caught in adultery, what you're witnessing is a father's heart to restore his daughter into his household. When you see Jesus sitting down and eating with tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes, what you're recognizing is a father's heart. Does that make sense? Jesus says, I've come to show you the father. And if you've allowed yourself to adopt a theology where you believe that Jesus is the nice guy in the Trinity, protecting you from the heavy hand of God the father, if that way of thinking has crept down into the bedrock of your heart, you will never find yourself entering into the depths of God's joy and life and peace and confidence that comes when you know you're in the Father's house. See, the tragedy of American Christianity, one of the great tragedies, is that so many of us are sitting in the Father's house and we just have no idea. 
And Jesus says, I've come to reveal and I've come to restore. I love that Jesus didn't just show up and say, hey, you screwed it up, the father was good, you got him wrong. You're screwed, you're on the outside, you can't get in, that's not the message of Jesus. Jesus says, no, I'm your spiritual big brother and it will be through my death and my burial and my resurrection that you get to enter back into the father's house. And when you come back in, what you're gonna experience is not a whole lot of I told you so's. What you're gonna experience is the overwhelming, incomparable, cosmic love of God the Father towards you. And Jesus came to reveal and to restore those that are outside of the family into the Father's house. You know, I've got three boys. And Lord willing, I will never find myself estranged from any of them. But if I do, I pray to God that my other kids will chase down my wayward son and say, you have no idea how much daddy loves you. And the life and the message and the heartbeat of Jesus was, look how far the father is willing to go so you know how good he is. That's the message of the gospel. And Jesus says, I'll do whatever it takes to bring you home. But the truth is, until we really receive that reality of the Father's love into our hearts, until you receive that love, you can never ever turn around and love people the way that God asks you to love them. You can't love yourself, you can't love your neighbors, you can't love your spouse, screw loving your enemies, you can't do that. You cannot love the way you were meant to love until you understand that your life is in the crosshairs of the Father's love and that it's been poured out on you in Jesus Christ. Until you receive, you can never turn around and give. And until we receive, we'll never experience what it means to be the family of God. I see this in church all the time where we're going, man, we need community. Yeah, we need community. What we need more than that is we need family. And what is it that makes us a family in the first place? It's not that we sit in this room in these chairs and all like the same style of teaching or music. What makes us family? It's blood. It's the blood of Jesus. That's what makes us family. That we've been brought near in Christ. And that whether you realize it or not, the way you view your father deeply impacts the way you relate to the people next to you. And until we see him as a good father, we will never be able to experience the peace and the joy in the life of human relationship and flourishing like we're created to. Everything you're seeing in the news right now is the result of cosmic father issues. All the fighting, all the division, all the finger pointing and all the fear. It's the result of a humanity that has no idea where they've come from and of a humanity who has no idea just how far the Father's willing to go to bring them home. And that's your job. That's our job as a family. To go out and to say, man, in Jesus, there's plenty of room in this house. There's plenty of room in this house. 
We could have kept going in John chapter 14. You remember what Jesus says? He says, I'm going to prepare a place for who? You. In my Father's what? House. And in my Father's house, there's many what? Rooms. He says, you have no idea how much room there is in the Father's house. But the only way into the Father's house is through our big brother, Jesus. He says, through my life, my death, my resurrection, you come all the way in. And church, I just wanna say, for some of you today, it is your day to come home. It's your day to come home. There's some of you that have been living outside of the Father's house, and the Spirit of God is inviting you to come back to your Father through the blood of His Son, Jesus. I love there's this moment in Luke chapter 15, it's a famous story. Jesus is surrounded by a really eclectic group of people. It says that the Pharisees and uh, and the religious elite are there. It says that the tax collectors and prostitutes are already also there, so it's a really eclectic bunch of people. And Jesus begins to tell them a story of what God the Father is like, and he says, if you wanna know what God is like, he's like this. A spoiled brat ran away from his father's house and squandered his father's inheritance and ruined it all, his father's reputation, his legacy, his finances. He says, but there was a moment where in the midst of eating with the pigs, he came to his senses and he began walking back to the father's house. Now there's this moment in Luke 15 that hits me every time I read it. And that is the son is walking back to his father's house and he begins to have this dialogue with himself or this monologue with himself. What is that? Is that a fire alarm? Amber alert, okay. Lord, we just pray for whoever just went missing. It is so interesting, Lord, that as I'm talking about a child that is missing, an Amber alert goes off. God, would you get our attention about the reality of the world around us. And would you give us hearts that care in the name of Jesus, amen. Back to the sermon. The son's walking back to the house. And he's having this monologue. He's having this monologue about, okay, how's the father gonna treat me? Maybe he'll bring me in as a slave or a servant. And it's what happens every time sin enters into our life. It's what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. It's what happened to this young man in Luke 15. It's what happens to you and I. Is that our brokenness distorts our vision of the Father's character. Our brokenness distorts our understanding of the Father's love. And he's walking back to the Father's house going, I don't know if he's gonna bring me in. I don't know if he's gonna welcome me back. And Jesus says, this is what the father's like. As soon as the father saw him, what did he do? He ran to him and he threw a party. And today, some of you, it's your day, come home. The father's waiting, come home. Jesus has cleansed all your sins. He's done everything to make you right in the father's house, come home. In just a few minutes, we're gonna have a time of prayer and worship and communion. Tonight, we're gonna have baptisms. If it's time for you to come home, grab that baptism card in your seat. I'll be up here at the respond banner. Come find me. We'll share with you what you need to do. But come home. For some of you, it's time to enter back into the Father's house. But there's another side of that Luke 15 story. 
It's the reason I wanted to speak on this today to so many of you. And that is in that story, there were two brothers. There was one that knew he was outside of the father's house. And there was one that was inside the father's house, but he never knew it. And there's this moment where the older brother is heartbroken and he says, Father, how come you never threw me a party? And the father says to him, son, don't you understand that what I've always had has always been yours? You don't have to wait to the future to have it. It's yours right here and right now. Ethos, do you realize that everything the father has that's been made available to you in Jesus Christ is yours right here and right now? but you have to come to him as father. Romans 5, 5 says that it's the Holy Spirit through the power of Jesus that pours out the love of God the Father in our hearts. Ephesians chapter three, Paul prays, out of your glorious riches, would you help us to know how high and wide and long and deep is the love of God? And some of you this morning, it's not about you coming home. Some of you this morning, it's about you awakening to the love of the father who is the father of that home and we're gonna take communion and we're gonna worship. If you need a fresh encounter with the love of God the Father this morning, I wanna encourage you to grab the people around you and in communion to just pray that God out of his glorious riches, through the grace of his son Jesus and by the power of his Holy Spirit would pour the love of the Father into our hearts. Because the moment that begins to happen, we begin to see what it is that God is calling us into. Let's stand together. I wanna to pray over us as we get ready for communion. Father, Father, Father. It is a gift to be able to call you Father. And you are so good. God, forgive us when our sins have distorted our understanding of your goodness. Jesus, thank you for coming so far so that we know, might know how great the Father is. And I pray that today you would bring us home, that you would awaken us to the fact that we're in the Father's house. God, as we take the bread and as we drink the cup, would you display in very tangible ways how much you love us? Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.